Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back. Yes, it is Monday, March 21st, 2022. I predicted aloud with you last week that this week would see some reduction in the Russia-Ukraine story. The rhetoric that was ramped up from the administration with very high expectations sought could never be met and will not be met. On top of that, the 24-7 coverage cable and print news became more and more every day akin to those chirons that just make no sense to me on cable news like breaking news, jury still deliberating, which is like breaking news, the sun will rise in the east tomorrow. I suppose in an offhanded way, cable television has created its own playground for this kind of coverage and absurdity, calling things news or breaking when nothing new, the root, the root of the word news, when nothing new is transpiring. Why did they create it? Because they are part and parcel of the crisis industrial complex. They, for different reasons than the left nonetheless subsist on crisis. They get eyeballs with it. The left uses the complex for different reasons, namely keeping us unfocused, treating everything as a calamity requiring massive or major reform or fundamental transformation in the Argot, Barack Obama, or his first chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel. But those interests converge somewhat parasitically and end up using one another. Things are always horrible, and as soon as you are bored or saturated with crisis A, we shall immediately launch you into crisis B. All of this comes down to us in the legatee of Karl Marx's notion of the permanent revolution. No rest ever. Marx would say this, quote, while the democratic petty bourgeois want to bring the revolution to an end as quickly as possible, Achieving at most the aims already mentioned, it is our interest and our task to make the revolution permanent until all the more or less propertied classes have been driven from their ruling positions, till the proletariat has conquered state power, and until the association of the proletarians has progressed sufficiently far that completion between the proletarians of these countries ceases, and at least the decisive forces of production are concentrated in the hands of the workers, close quote. They want the whole Megillah, not just criminal justice reform, say, or COVID mitigation. They never sleep or rest and can never let us sleep or rest. Otherwise, there's nothing to actualize ourselves about. Another Marx phrase. Consider why you'd need to transform something that's pretty good or okay or at peace or at rest, settled. That's not the interest of the revolutionary, and we live in revolutionary times. They want to change our current arrangements and note, too, Marks like they also want to change our past, our history. The present isn't sufficient. They're going after history, just as Karl Marx said his goal was. By the way, consider an interesting antipode here, namely America's origins. There's something calm or restful about our founding, especially as it bases itself on fundamental truths, which theoretically cannot be changed. 
The revolutionary tries to change truths. The Western ethos of human rights and self-government abjures that, just as the revolutionary almost never, and communism certainly does not, support self-government and ends up depredating human rights. Consider Calvin Coolidge on this in his speech on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Quote, About the Declaration, there is a finality that is exceedingly restful. It is often asserted that the world has made a great deal of progress since 1776, that we have had new thoughts and new experiences which, given us, which have given us a great advance over the people of that day, and that we may therefore very well discard their conclusions for something more modern. But that reasoning cannot be applied to this great charter. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond those propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward but backward, toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the revolutionary fathers, close quote. Now maybe we can begin to apprehend the energumen of the revolutionary and the crisis industrial complex. Or, as historian Wilford McClay puts it, quote, a culture without memory will necessarily be barbarous and easily tyrannized, even if it is technologically advanced. The incessant waves of daily events will occupy all our attention and defeat all our efforts to connect past, present, and future, thereby diverting us from an understanding of the human things that unfold in time, including the paths of our own lives. Close quote. Maybe, too, we can begin to better understand the underpinnings of the leftist rant we saw so much during the anti-Trump protest years. No rest, no peace. So I wasn't quite sure, to be honest, what would replace the Ukraine-Russia saturation. But if you offered me a multiple-choice answer that could include or would include race, I'd have checked that box. And so here we are with a week or two of hearings coming up, started today, on a Supreme Court nominee where race is trying once again to be exploited for political purposes. And let us make no mistake about however one tries to shift blame or retreat on this. But Joe Biden promised and said his nominee would be a female and an African-American. He started it with the race thing. So now, given the leftist democratic rules of warfare, you find an unqualified or extremist or disagreeable nominee for something and make an a priori and peremptory dismissal of debate by her or his opponents of the nominee based not on why the person was selected, but what they believed. In other words, debate or dissent about uh, 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 Ketanji Brown-Jackson's excellence or propriety or qualifications based on what she said and done will be immediately solicitous of the charge that to, the point th that to point this out or even care about it is sexist or racist or both. In other words, she's selected on immutable characteristics. You challenge her on policy. They will defend her on immutable characteristics and your bias against them. Doesn't work the other way. For us, Clarence Thomas will be lied about and taken down just as much as Brett Kavanaugh. 
But I would like to add one note to this quote unquote historic nomination. Well, two notes. How have these historic nominations worked out when the historically boasted features are anti and unintellectually based, anti or uncharacter based? I give you Kamala Harris to start. How did all those celebrations of what she'd mean to those who share the very reasons she was chosen, i.e. not anything she worked for or accomplished, but in actual ignorance of what she worked for or accomplished, namely race and gender, how does that make her failure look? Well, you live by these swords, you die by them, no? She's great because she's black and a female. Well, then when she fails, is that for the same reason or another reason? You make the unearned and immutable characteristics, maybe what might just be considered the arbitrariness of birth, you make those the thing, the important thing? Then is that the thing that explains her failure too, since it's the thing that explains her success? This is why Professor Shelby Steele calls race-based affirmative action instituting a permanent stigma of questionable competence. It keeps raising bias and bigotry and, re- and collective responsibility when the effort was to diminish and zero it out. But the administration will milk this and parade itself around for this nomination as being a first and historic and worthy of praise, especially since there is precious little else worthy of praise for them to boast of. The irony, and nobody will talk about this on the news hour, on PBS tonight or on the Sunday shows, but the irony is there nonetheless. The irony is that but for Joe Biden, we'd possibly already have both an intellectual giant and a female African-American justice on the Supreme Court. Her name would be Janice Rogers Brown. Mark Thiessen has the goods. The story began in 2003 when President George W. Bush nominated Judge Janice Rogers Brown to serve on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. The D.C. Circuit is considered the country's second most important court and has produced more Supreme Court justices than any other federal court. Brown was immediately hailed as a potential Supreme Court nominee. She was highly qualified, having served for seven years as an associate justice of the California Supreme Court, the first black woman to do so. She was the daughter and granddaughter of sharecroppers and grew up in rural Alabama during the dark days of segregation when her family refused to enter restaurants or theaters with separate entrances for black customers. She rose from poverty and put herself through college and UCLA UCLA Law School working as a single mother. She was a self-made African-American legal star, but she was an outspoken conservative. So Biden set out to destroy her. Biden and his fellow Democrats filibustered her nomination, along with several other Bush circuit court nominees, all of whom had majority support in the Senate. Columnist Robert Novak called it the first full-scale effort in American history to prevent a president from picking the federal judge he wants. Democrats argued that she was out of the legal mainstream, but Republicans responded that she had written more majority opinions than any other justice on the California Supreme Court and that she was reelected with 76 percent of the vote, the highest percentage of all the justices on the ballot. The following month, when Justice Sandra Day O'Connor announced her retirement, Brown was on Bush's shortlist to replace her. She would have been the first black woman ever nominated to serve as an associate justice on the Supreme Court. 
But Joe Biden appeared on CBS's Face the Nation to warn that if Bush nominated Brown, she would face a filibuster. Quote, I can assure you that would be a very, very, very difficult fight and she probably would be filibustered. Close quote, Biden said. Asked by moderator John Roberts, quote, wasn't she just concerned? Confirmed? Biden replied that the Supreme Court is a totally different ballgame because a circuit court judge is bound by stare decisis. They don't get to make new law, close quote. What Biden threatened was unprecedented. There has never been a successful filibuster of a nominee for associate justice in the history of the republic. Biden wanted to make a black woman the first in history to have her nomination killed by a filibuster. And so Judge Brown Jackson will be first because Joe Biden doesn't even take seriously what he says. He never wanted a qualified black woman on the Supreme Court. He could have had that but for his own efforts in the early 2000s. He wants a leftist progressive and she will be more easily confirmed because of the shock and core that will take any critique or examination of her as misogynistic or racist. Politics by preemption. Politics by conversation cessation. Politics by exploitation of race and gender. We once called that shameful. Today we call it the Democratic Party. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. A couple words about Supreme Court hearings. They will get a little more fired up tomorrow. Uh, today was the day of opening statements where um, the senators each you know, spoke uh, about you know, what they saw going forward over the next week or so and uh, where, uh, where Judge uh, Brown Jackson uh, gave her opening comments. Uh, and, and you got some contours of where there will be some tough questioning. Um, and by tough questioning, I mean deserved questioning. I hope it's a reminder. I hope it's a reminder that the courts matter. And I hope it's a reminder that they matter more today than perhaps ever before, including in the minds of the founders. It was as far back as the early um, 1800s when Alexis de Tocqueville uh, was lamenting our American legal system and said, scarcely any political question arises in the United States that is not resolved in a two, into a judicial question. And that's kind of the problem today, the turning of political questions into judi judicial ones. Uh, what we seem to be unable to live with and solve at the ballot box, we litigate in front of ultimately nine elite lawyers to decide. And this turns our judicial branch of government into the most powerful branch of our entire democratic system because it's there to overrule everything anyone elected may have considered or done or enacted. Alexander Hamilton in the 78th Federalist probably put it the best. He wrote, quote, the judiciary from the nature of its functions will always be the least dangerous to the political rights of the Constitution because it will be least in capacity to annoy or injure them. The executive not only dispenses the honors but holds the sword of the community. The legislature not only commands the purse but prescribes the rules by which the duties and rights of every citizen are to be regulated. The judiciary, on the contrary, has no influence over either the sword or the purse, no direct 
reflection either of the strength or of the wealth of the society and take no active resolution, whatever. It proves incontestably that the judiciary is beyond comparison the weakest of the three departments of power. What a laugh. What a bad joke on the original founding schemes concept. And so we end up with a politics and set of policies and politics that were given to us by no one but the invention of Supreme Court justices and, to be fair, their clerks that helped them write their opinions. How many times have you heard uh, about you know the separation of church and state? The separation of church and state is not a phrase found in our Constitution. It's not in our First Amendment. It's not in our Declaration of Independence. How about the wall of separation between church and state must be high and impregnable? That's an invention of the Supreme Court in the 1940s. No founder ever said it should be high and impregnable. That's an invention, an invention. The idea that there's such a thing as freedom of expression in this country, which takes us off the debate of what the founders wanted to protect for the First Amendment. Find me where it speaks of freedom of expression in our Constitution or First Amendment. It does not. A few years ago, well, more than a few, but some years ago, Robert Bork, who was a D.C. Circuit uh, Court of Appeals judge, who was nominated to the Supreme Court by Ronald Reagan, who was scuttled by Joe Biden and the Democrats. He wrote an analytical piece about uh, the problems with the First Amendment that the Supreme Court has given us. And it's mind boggling. Just one small selection, if you will. Where religion is concerned, for example, a state may lend parochial school children geography textbooks that contain maps of the United States, but may not lend them maps of the United States for use in geography class. A state may lend parochial school children textbooks on American colonial history, but not a film about George Washington. A state may pay for diagnostic services conducted in a parochial school, but therapeutic services must be provided in a different building. That's the kind of stuff these courts futzing around throw at you because every judge in a constitutional case at that level of appeal, usually the Supreme Court, finds that they can impose their own guidance and they know better than what people, including the founders, but people voted for or voted against. When you look around and say to yourself, how did we get this way? Or I don't recognize this country anymore. A half of it comes from the woke left apparatus in this country that is not involved in the court system. Corporations, media, public pressure, um, the, 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 virtue, the public pressure of virtue signaling and the silencing of corp- by corporate censorship. Half of it comes that way comes to us from that. But the other half comes from the judiciary. The other half comes from a judiciary run riot, a judiciary that sees itself as a super legislature. And that's why these things matter. And that's why presidents matter. My prediction is Judge uh, uh, Brown Jackson will get confirmed. She'll probably have, I'm guessing, every Democrat vote. I don't know why a Democrat would vote against her. She seems to represent their philosophy quite well. The question will be how many Republicans will vote for her.
Lindsey Graham didn't vote for her to be a district court judge. Would he vote for her now? Here's an interesting one. Mitt Romney didn't vote for her to be a district court judge. Will he vote for her now? I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's time for our culture and economy update, as we do every day at this time with John Dombrowski. He is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website, and he also hosts his own show right here on 960 AM every Saturday morning, The Word on Wealth. That's available to you live at 7 AM here. John, how are you, sir? Fantastic, Seth. Thank you. you yeah, had a good, good weekend? weekend? Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, you yeah. did? We did. Yeah, the weather's just great, isn't Fant- it? A little windy, but nice. Yeah, a little windy, but nice. Um, okay, a lot of red today. Yeah, well, yeah, not as bad as, as you, if you want to take into consideration last week. We had five straight up days, uh, and we had a, just a slight pullback today. It really wasn't much of anything, and I think a little little bit of that had to do with the Fed, uh, the comments that were made that, hey, inflation's high, that we're going to be, you know, having a number of interest rates for the rest of the year. So just sticking to their plan, and I think that was a prudent thing. So I think this was uh, just a brief pause, and that's okay. Good. That tempers uh, and uh, and uh, buoys me to hear that. Mm-hmm. There was a piece that was kind of interesting. You and I have talked about these issues uh, in uh, in in uh, an extremist past. Yes. But uh, there's an interesting – Andy Kessler had an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal about how war muddles markets – and he runs through an interesting history. The one that was most surprising to me, I didn't know if I ever knew and I certainly forgot if I ever knew, was in the first Gulf War in 1990, how bad the markets were doing until right. the technology picked everything up. Until the first the yeah, I didn't remember started that, flying, as he yeah, said, right? In this, yeah. So it was interesting in this set. It's a it's, you know, relatively uh, – you know, easy article to read through. Yeah. But what I what I got out of it, this was interesting. His last statement was beware of experts. Yeah. They are almost they are most often wrong. Yeah. So here's kind of what I put together on this. You have when it comes to the stock market, you've got financial financial analysts, you've got these chart experts, you've got researchers, you've got active uh, traders who are trying to time the markets. You've got uh, computer trading using algorithms. All of these different uh, ways of people uh, trying to outsmart the markets. And basically what I'm getting out of this is that, you know, we talk about it all the time. You can't time the market. We can't guess. Nobody knows. And what this article is basically saying is that there's there's no two scenarios that are exactly the same. That's right. That's right. Right. And so if we think about it, he's also saying here, if we would have looked at this and just over time, we see that the markets have a way of finding ways, as he was in his saying, he was dreading going in that morning yeah. for the meeting yeah. to have to say how bad all of his things were doing. And yeah. that's the day when everything was up 20%. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's amazing how the so-called experts out there, as he says, are often wrong. Right. And a good, solid investment strategy, sticking to your plan, uh, making those slight adjustments to it accordingly, uh, over time really has proven to be a winning uh, you know, method of investing. Yeah, uh, yes. And also, let's say something about experts. Uh, beware of experts. They are most often wrong. Most experts are wrong in almost every field. Right. Most are. Yeah. Most are. And there's not a lot of accountability. I've lamented this in politics for it's years. Sure, uh, you can do that with economists all day long. But you know there are you know there are uh, groups, conjuries, uh, categories, and individuals 
that aren't most often wrong. And that's who you – I mean one of the reasons uh, you know, we, we delight in working with you so much is, is your track record. But in the world I know a little bit better uh, than your world, which is politics, mm-hmm. n- not all experts are always wrong. No. It's just that the media for some reason finds them telegenic or interesting enough to keep pumping them at you. you know? Right, right, and, right. And uh, you, know, you see this with election predictions a lot. You see this with crisis counseling a lot. Um, anyway, just a, a point I wanted to make that the idea that – most experts are wrong. Yes, most experts are. That's why those who are great stand out and here's, or should. Here's the other two, Seth, side of this. When it comes to money, people yeah. are afraid. There's no yeah. question. You know, you yeah. work your whole life. You're yeah. accumulating your, your uh, investments, your retirement accounts, and that money is for you to be able to uh, live a comfortable life after retirement. And so it is. It's, it's a challenge, and it's an emotional thing when it comes to people, when it comes to their money, and I understand that. And that's why it's so important um, that you're working with someone that you feel comfortable with, confident with, that they're helping you through this uh, rough time right now, that you're able to get clear understanding and explanations of why you're investing certain ways, what you're investing in, to help you get to where you're trying to go, mm. which is ultimately a comfortable retirement. Nice. Nice. Thank you, sir. You bet. Nick, reach me at uh, grandcanyonplanning.com. Request an appointment there. Securities and advisory services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much, Seth. Beautiful, John. Thank you. you I'm bet. Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. <laughs> it's all right. You can punish me. That's all right. Remember how they drove Manuel Noriega out of his uh, palace in what was it like 1989? They were blasting. I forget what something at it. Some kind of music at him. It won this. <laughs> it won this. Should he would have left faster if it was that? That's all right. I don't mind. You're funny, Bill. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature, which I take every day and love totally. Uh, natural, pure, potent plant power, the only whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, added sugar, or pesticides. The only thing in their capsules is pure fruit and vegetables, including their capsules, which are 100 percent vegan. There is uh, no gluten. There's no GMO. There's no added anything. No added anything. It's just a blend of 15 veggies and 16 fruits using a cold press process and put into those capsules. You take them every day, you will feel great, better, boosted your immunity, more energy, the natural way. And, I, you know, they don't make any guarantee. I, people I've talked to uh, who have taken it based on my say-so and my memory of it is you'll, 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 notice, you'll notice the difference pretty darn quickly, pretty darn quickly. Uh, this is not a – this is not – you know, you put all those kinds of fruits and veggies in your system every day – It'll it, a couple days, three days. Check them out at balanceofnature.com. Balanceofnature.com. Their fruits and veggies. Make sure, make sure to use discount code balance. Uh, you would have thought maybe after the Hunter Biden computer laptop computer um, contratat that things would have let up on the um, on the corporate media censorship, or at least the corporate and social media censorship of other social media organizations, you would have thought maybe there would be some kind of respect or mutuality of respect and learning uh, that took place from uh, media outlets. I've never 
seen a situation as I did with Hunter Biden's laptop in uh, 2020 where one media outlet literally censured another. Usually they kind of work together to defend their free speech rights, um, even though they may be competing. But, yeah, there's some censorship going on all over again. And this time it's not about it's not about an election. And as I said the other day, and I think I'm right, it's not over a debate and discussion of race that is yielded, at least for the time being, to issues having to do with transgender teaching or trans uh, transgender um, momentum in this country. That's where the new discussion and talk is about. That's what these efforts in Florida and against Florida are about. Uh, did you see someone, some uh, activist group is taking out huge billboards, r large billboards in Florida and just putting the word gay in very large font on them as if they're being clever because they're saying what theoretically you can't. Someone on Twitter said <laughs> – someone on Twitter responded – Oh, good. The word that is nowhere to be found in Florida's legislation. <laughs> the only people talking about it are the activists against it. That having been said, disturbing, disturbing trend. The Babylon Bee. You familiar with the Babylon Bee? It is nothing more than a um, than a satire site, a satire website that you know pitches news headlines and pitches news stories. For humor. It's funny. It's kind of what Art Buckwald of the Washington Post used to do if people have memories of that uh, combined with maybe – maybe it's combining Art Buckwald and Mad Magazine or something like that. I mean it's a satire site and Twitter took it down. Twitter banned a tweet of theirs. What was it that they took down? They took down a tweet – where are you familiar with? Uh, do, do do you guys know who uh, who Rachel Rachel Levine is? She's the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, who now identifies as a woman. She was born biologically a man. You may have seen her. She has the straight gray hair, sometimes pulled back, sometimes um, whatever the word is you want for it, flowing down or or, or a little looser. So, so, so USA Today named her Woman of the Year. USA Today about a week and a half ago named her Woman of the Year. So the Babylon Bee did what the Babylon Bee did, which does, which is make satire. And they put up a press release where she was Woman of the Year. Much like, much like people are talking about Leah Thomas as being a, a man as well and not a woman who won <laughs> a woman's competition but a man who won in a woman's competition and twitter twitter took that down do you remember too the audio of that brave student swimming student uh from uh virginia tech who i played audio of twice last week i don't think i need to do it again now talking about a fellow student of hers who was so so upset uh, that uh, she was knocked out of the NCAA competition by one space, by one space, because of Leah Thomas. Do you remember they were talking about that student in the in the in the audio? Well, that student is a Hungarian American student, and she wrote an open letter. She wrote an open letter on what Leah Thomas 
did and what she was not able to do because Leah Thomas, you know, bumped her out. She was 17 out of room for 16. <clears throat> I'll read you that when we come back, maybe if we have time. But guess what? She, too, was banned from Twitter. A student was banned from Twitter. A student for saying how upset she was that she couldn't compete because Leah Thomas did compete as a woman for the swimming NCAA um, competition. Was her, her viewpoint was taken down. Now, how do you expect us to have an informed debate in this country or even not a debate but just discussion when you have a tyranny of the minority – taking down the opinion and position of the vast majority of this people, don't come and ask me how is it the common sense is no longer in the mainstream, how, how, how it is that you wake up in a country you no longer recognize. As I said last week, it's not the majority of the American people that are countercultural. It's that the elites are and they are convincing the rest of the American people that you must be on their side if you are going to be hip or with it. And if you are not going to be on their side, then dare you ever say anything against them, they will take you down and shut you up. Just as we're not supposed to shame people about their thoughts, views, or feelings, they have no compunction about doing that for the thoughts, views, and feelings of college girls who want to compete as college girls and not college girls who want to compete against men. We'll say more about that when we come back. And we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, brought to you live at the Guns Cetera Studios. This uh, great, uh, great uh, accomplished student um, is uh, originally from Hungary. Her name is Rekha Georgi, and this letter she wrote was banned on Twitter. Open letter to the NCAA. Dear NCAA, I would like to address this past week's events and express my thoughts. First, I would like to remind everyone that I am a human being and that as a human being, I too experience feelings and emotions. It's not just Leah Thomas's feelings and emotions here, okay, folks? My name is Rekha Georgi from Hungary. I'm a 2016 Rio Olympian represented Virginia Tech for the past five years, a two-time ACC champion, two-time All-American, three-time honorable mention All-American. With all due respect, I would like to address something that is a problem in our sport right now and hurting athletes, especially female swimmers. Everyone was heard, has heard and known about transgender Leah Thomas and her case, including all the issues and concerns that her situation brought to our sport. I'd like to point out that I respect and fully stand with Leah Thomas. I am convinced that she is no different than me or any other D1 swimmer who has woken up at 5 a.m. her entire life for morning practice. She has sacrificed family vacations and holidays for a competition. She has pushed herself to the limit to the best athlete she could be. She is doing what she is passionate about and deserves that right. On the other hand, I would like to critique the NCAA rules that allow her to compete against us who are biological women. I'm writing this letter right now in hope that the NCAA will open their eyes and change these rules in the future. It doesn't promote our sport in a good way, and I think it is disrespectful against the biologically female swimmers who are competing in the NCAA. 
I swam the 500 free at NCAA on March 17, 2022, where I got 17th, which means I didn't make it back to the finals and was first alternate. I'm a five-year, I'm a fifth-year senior. I have been top 16 and top eight before, and I know how much a privilege it is to make finals at a meet this big. It's my last college meet ever, and I feel frustrated. It feels like that final spot was taken away from me because of the NCAA's decision to let someone who is not a biological female compete. I know you would say I had the opportunity to swim faster and make the top 16, but this situation makes it a bit different, and I can't help but be angry or sad. It hurts me, my team, and every other woman in the pool. One spot was taken away from the girl who got ninth in the 500 free and didn't make it back to the A final, preventing her from being an All-American. Every event that transgender athletes compete in was one spot taken away from a biological female throughout the meet. The NCAA knew what was coming this past week. They knew opinions and minds will be divided and chose to do nothing. This week has been more about reporters, media, and division in our sport than things like two women going under 21 seconds in the 50 freestyle, three women going under 50 seconds in the 100 butterfly, and the first woman in history to go under 48 seconds in the 100 backstroke. Thursday was not a specific athlete's fault. It is the result of the NCAA and their lack of interest in protecting their athletes. I ask that the NCAA takes time to think about all the other biological women in swimming and try to think how they would feel if they would be in our shoes. Make the right changes for our sport for a better future in swimming. Thank you for reading Rekha Georgi, Virginia Tech swimmer. It took someone from Hungary to write that to the NCAA. The NCAA is no different than the NBA or any other professional athletic association. They are not in favor of your values.